Well, good morning to you. It's uh, good to share in worship on this day as we think of the coming of God's Spirit. Um, although the passage is read will be the foundation of the message this morning, I'm going to look, explore with you what Jesus taught in that upper room of which we heard earlier on and uh, see some of the amazing things he shared for the day that was coming. It's uh, good to have my wife with me this morning. Um, she's my best critic and uh, friends that we have here today from the States. And that's uh, quite a joy to us. Leslie in particular, um, we made friends through a, a long, long story that I won't tell you, but it began with me marrying her sister in Dunoon, not personally, but as a minister <laughs> to an American sailor. The one good thing about being a minister is you can marry thousands of women and not have to live with any of them. <laughs> That's probably not PC anymore, but it's good. It's good. Even the women laughed. But um, one of the things that Leslie did at one point was in our various contacts say, um, do you know Alistair Begg? She said, um, I listened to his online messages. And I'm sure I said to him, I said to her at that time, Alistair Begg, never heard of him. <laughs> but you have here, haven't you? So I've told her she's here where he once ministered live. And uh, that's good to share in the same pulpit today. Today, Christians all over the world celebrate the coming of God's Spirit at Pentecost. As we do this, on this Sunday, we're reminded, of course, that other churches like the Russian or Greek Orthodox churches will have a slightly different date, but altogether, in the end, we do the same thing. To remember the coming of the promise of the Father, the promise that is kept because of Jesus' ascension to the right hand of the Father, that triggered the first great gospel sermon when thousands came to be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. A, a radical moment when Jewish people from various parts of the world and from Jerusalem itself came to acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Christ, the Lord, the Messiah, their Savior. And the glorious thing, the high peak of Christian faith, the distinctive mark of Christian reality in all the religions of the world is this, that God, by his Spirit, comes to live in his people and in our lives as individual believers. And yet, isn't it strange that we can be very uncertain about the spirit. I mean, spirit sounds vague, doesn't it? God, we can kind of sort of relate to in various ways, God and creation, or God is Father, and although that's a difficult question for some people, at least all of us know what it means to have a biological father and to be a child. And Jesus, did he not come, the Son of God, and be incarnate in this world and take on flesh? And we can say, he shares our humanity. But spirit sounds vague. 
When I was young, of course, we tended to speak of the Holy Ghost. But in the age of ghostbusters, that doesn't go down too well anymore. The word ghost, by the way, just meant the same as spirit coming from a German word that's still used today. Jehovah's Witnesses find the spirit very vague, like force, like electricity, not a person with any feelings or reactions or responses, not a third person of the Trinity. They can't believe in the Trinity because they see the spirit as this vague emanation of God's power into our lives. Yet John's letter says God is spirit, for God is also personal. So the spirit of God is personal too. So Pentecost itself can feel strange, can't it? It's, we heard a, a three-minute summary of that great story. And in its own audio-visual, it gives a remarkable feeling of something that happened to give the disciples, the apostles, assurance that this spirit had come. And yet, not everybody liked the spiritual fireworks. Not everybody thought it was amazing. They saw some of the crowd with skepticism and unbelief that the disciples might be drunk. The very signs that gave reassurance to those who believed became a reason for resistance. We saw varied reactions to the charismatic movement in its earlier days with its overemphasis on the spectacular gifts. Tongues, speakings, prophecies, healings, miracles, the whole range of personal experiences that some gave you as absolute and necessary. Some Christians found this a barrier. People shrunk back from the spirit. There was division among many people over the Spirit, this great promised gift of God to his people. And it's true that these things are still puzzling. But what is also true is Pentecost essentially happened once. It's a description of the great historical event Something that repeated at each point when they moved from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. Marking out the promised missionary movement of God and a gospel that brought salvation in Jesus Christ and, wonderfully, the gift of his spirit. When I, when I was a young minister in Dunoon, I, I, being interested in bird watching, I, ra I ran a wee series of stories from bird life and birds in my kind of weekly or monthly magazine. And I called it Ornithology. I thought it was very clever. Till years later, I found John Stott using it in his book on birds. So you can't really do anything new and be unique. But it makes me interested in Celtic 
pilgrimages, Celtic pilgrims, Celtic missionary work. For they were impressed by the migratory activity of geese. They were astonished at the distances they covered from one area to another, as we see every year coming and going from our own land. And they used not the dove, but the wild goose as a symbol of the spirit because they felt this is what the spirit does. He gets outside the box. He takes to the high winds. He travels across the world. He's always on the move. He's doing something new and explosive and imaginative and powerful. And it's a great image. But he also came as a dove, quietly. And like most of the energy that's in our own body, which we never even think of, so the Spirit is. And often we rarely think of him constantly active in who we are. Right, right now, when the God's word is being declared, his spirit is at work, hopefully in me to be true to what scripture says, and hopefully you and me to hear its message, to receive it, to understand it, to grow in it. For the spirit does quiet work. Many people who've had long COVID haven't had a clue what it's like to be so weak and lacking in energy before. Fitness fanatics found themselves unable to get out of bed, to read a newspaper, to make a cup of tea. See, when that energy that we have that we hardly ever think of vanishes, we're limp. We're useless. So it is with the Spirit. When we live without him, when we pay no attention to him, when we only look for the spectacular that interests us with intrigue or resistance, we miss his main and vital work. So why be uncertain of the Spirit? When our Lord Jesus himself in the upper room, a little before his crucifixion, taught his disciples about the Spirit's coming. We're going to eavesdrop on that conversation. Found in great texts, five great texts in John's Gospel between chapter 14 and chapter 16. We have the authority of Jesus to embrace the Spirit. In fact, the biblical term is receive him like we've received some American guests to our home who said make yourself at home I think they have can't find anything now it's all over the place but you know what I mean That's, we even had a reception room in many grand houses and our heart is the reception room for the Holy Spirit. And why be uncertain of the Spirit when our Lord Jesus himself lived in the presence and power of the Spirit? In his birth, he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. 
In his baptism, the Spirit descended on him. It was the Spirit that drove him into the wilderness to lure the devil from his den and do face-to-face battle. To each temptation, Jesus wielded the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, to put the devil in his place. The Spirit came upon him when he announced his mission in the great Nazareth Manifesto. Throughout his life and into his death, the Spirit operated in Jesus And then by the Spirit's power, God raised him from the dead. And then in his ascension, he goes to the Father's right hand. And God grants that Spirit to come, sending him through our Lord Jesus Christ, so that we, having known that Jesus received the Spirit from the Father, that was now seen and heard that we too might receive from our Saviour. Sinclair Ferguson called the Holy Spirit Jesus' closest companion. And that is what Christ wants for us. For if the Spirit is in us, then we also experience the Spirit of Jesus Christ. We know his presence within. So let me read these five guilt-edged texts. I'll mention their reference as I go. First John, John chapter 14, verse 15 to 18. If you love me, keep my commandments. Listen to him. Are you listening? The disciples would be all ears. And I will ask the Father... And he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. John 14, verse 25, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. Don't be troubled. When the Advocate comes, we read in John 15, 26 to 27, The advocate comes, who am I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father. He will testify about me. And you must also testify about me, for you have been with me from the beginning. A longer passage, but I won't read it all. And it's really speaking about the Spirit and the whole business of bringing the world to Jesus Christ in response to the gospel. And he says this, Jesus But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And then chapter 16, 12 to 15, when Jesus has been talking about persecution, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now hear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes... 
He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known. Did you hear that? Powerful words that we might grasp today. And we have this problem, of course. The ascended Christ and disciples gazing into the heavens wondering, what now? Where's he gone? Will we ever see him again? But he had said, it's for your good. Because if he was here merely physically, he could be at Hamilton Baptist Church, but he couldn't be at Newton Mearns Baptist Church in the same service time. But by his spirit, of course, he can be with all his people everywhere, always, as we know. So what I want to do this morning is just take three of these titles in the light of Pentecost. First of all, the counselor, the advocate. The word is parakletos. The Father will give you another counsellor to be with you forever. Jesus is preparing his disciples for his death on the cross and then beyond that, through his resurrection to his ascension, his departure from this world, his exodus, and saying and reassuring him he won't leave them as orphans. The disciples still feel insecure and perplexed. But the ascension makes the point clear. This means Christ is absent. And yet, he still will be with us. The story, of course, artists have tried to paint throughout the centuries. And you'll get things like disciples in a room, say, or looking up at a cloud. And all you can see is feet disappearing through a ceiling or just about to be engulfed in the cloud. But the Bible says little of how it happened. The cloud symbolizes the presence of God into which Jesus enters. So the coming of the Spirit resolves the question of what Alexander McLaren called the absent, present Christ. Absent because no longer physically on earth. Present because one, another one, another one just like him, one who shares the same nature and essence, even to be called the Spirit of Christ, is given to them. Through his ministry, we can come to believe the gospel and know Christ's presence through the Spirit, another counselor who lives with us. The, the Greek word that you'll have heard often enough over the years, parakletos, is almost untranslatable because its various nuances are difficult to find together in one English word. But its core meaning is somebody who comes alongside to aid you, to help you. Hence, some translations use the word helper. And so he is. He helps us to pray. He helps us to understand God's word. 
He helps us to grow like Christ. He helps us to worship. He helps us to serve one another, giving us gifts to do so. He helps us to be bold in witness. He helps us when the world reviles us and turns its back on us. He is never off duty. He's 24-7. He's there to help. And how often do we stumble along looking for help when the helper is within us and among us? How can we be so uncertain and so hands-off with God's Spirit? The King James Version way back used the word comforter. It's a good word, but the trouble is now of days we think of a comforter as someone whose shoulder we can cry on. But it was nothing like that. It wasn't a therapeutic word. It wasn't an empathetic word. It was a word to give strength and to give fortitude. I mean, look at the word. The prefix is calm, with, and fort. What's a fort? It's not a shoulder to cry on. It's a protection to keep you safe. It's strong and it's mighty. In the Bayo Tapestry, there's an image of King Harold comforting his troops. But he's doing it with a big sword and using the flat of the blade, whacking them on the posterior. How do you like that kind of comfort? But that's exactly what we need in this snowflake age. Backbone, strength, perseverance. The church nowadays in Britain feels under fire. So what? Jesus says to his disciples, in this world you'll have trouble. You'll be persecuted. People will hate you. They'll deny your message. They'll reject you. They might even hurt you. They might put you in prison. They might kill you. But you've got the spirit to help you in all these situations. We need to toughen up. Not in our own strength, but in the strength of Christ and his spirit. Paracletus can also mean advocate or attorney. It's a courtroom word where someone speaks on your behalf. The ascended Christ at the right hand of the Father, according to John's letter, is our advocate. When we get tempted and sin and are troubled and maybe fall into despair and wonder, how can I be a Christian? How can I go on? We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who can say, Father, look through what I've done for them. Look how I gave my life for them. Look how my blood was shed for them. They're sorry. They're sad. Lift them up. Forgive them afresh. We have an advocate in Jesus Christ and an advocate within the daily advocacy of the Spirit's experience. How much we need him to be our paraclete. But we don't need to hunt for him. For in the Old Testament, when he came and went in different ways, we now have something different, a permanent basis. He's not come for an occasional B&B. He comes to reside in us. Listen to Jesus. He will be with you and in you. 
Jesus also calls the Spirit the Spirit of truth. For disciples, to, this was to turn out to be great news. Truth is on the scaffold these days. People have lost the plot about truth. Truth's become malleable. You can move it around to suit yourself. But actually, we can't live that way. We can't live in a world where your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. It doesn't work. It's just not true. <laughs> oh, how dare you say something so absolute? But then, we have the word of Tom Hanks, the Oscar winner, actor and film producer, just received his honorary um, degree from Harvard University with a public acknowledgement in his speech that he had never been in a library in his life. But he, his speech was this, truth matters. Tom Hanks, truth matters. Truth is sacred. Tom Hanks, the foundation of American society is this. Truth, truth, truth. Tom Hanks. Hope you're a believer now. But then Jesus said something better. Truth is not just out there. Truth is in here and among his people and in his word because of the spirit of truth. He would guide them into all truth. This is not necessarily about all the scientific things that we study in the world or the nature of this or the nature of that. It's, what it's about is about God, the gospel of the kingdom, Jesus Christ, his work and teaching and being able to apply it in all the tricky situations of life. That's why that first sermon by Peter is astonishing. Suddenly, a man who hadn't a clue what was going on, really, when he came around the cross, on the day of ascension, is preaching the Old Testament, saying, this is that, and this... Do, 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 do. The Spirit guided him into all truth. He'll be the memory man for the disciples reminding them of the things that Jesus had taught them. Do you notice now and again in the Bible it says the disciples didn't understand it at the time. That's right, they didn't understand it at the time. Jesus even said, I, I can't tell you anything more at the moment because you, you, you can't take anything more in. But the Spirit came to bring it to their mind, to teach them and to give them understanding. So we have the Scriptures this is the glory of the scriptures, that the Spirit enabled this book and the New Testament, especially for us, to be birthed, to be written down. The memory and the experience and the interpretation of the apostles and the prophets. But his great role is this, to take you to Jesus. He'll speak from me, he'll speak about me, he'll glorify me. We, we, we get a bit muddled up. Sometimes 
We go for God the Father, and that's the way we think. Sometimes we go for Jesus the Son, that's the way we think. We had the Jesus people at one point. Sometimes we go the Spirit, and we forget about Jesus, and we forget about God the Father. We have a triune God where one person is, all three are, because they're one God. And so we discover that this Spirit's joy and delight is to take us to Jesus. That's how to test the Spirit, by the way. There's many things happen in the Christian church and you wonder, is this of God? One way we will know, what does it tell us about Jesus? Where does it elevate Jesus? How does it exalt Jesus? How does it enable us to be filled with his presence and to be guided and to be helped by the risen Lord day by day. You see, the Spirit is not just interested even in truth as a fact or a piece of information, but as a deep experience in our lives so that everything belongs to his work and ministry within us. And finally and briefly, this counselor is also called the Holy Spirit. We, we sang a song just beforehand, didn't we? I choose to be holy. That is the most astonishing word that sinners ever can say. God alone is holy, utterly different. It's a chief attribute. He is wholly other than what we are. God determines what is holy. Everything that's in harmony with him, his words, his kingdom, is tuned to holiness. When we pray, our Father, etc., your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're praying for that harmony of holiness. How do we become holy? Well, holy means, as the song said, set apart for God. The church is big, big reason for existence. It's not to save the world first. It's to glorify God and be set apart for him, to live for the praise of his glory. And then, in so doing, be the bright and shining light to the world, a model to the world. When the world sees the church in its, the beauty of holiness, then it looks, it might despise, but many will be attracted for holiness is not the face of somebody sucking lemons. Holiness is joyful because it's complete, it's total, and it's for God. And the job the Holy Spirit loves to do is to make us like Jesus Christ, which is holiness itself. Why hold him at arm's length when he wants to make Christ real to you and to make you like Christ? 
Think of how the works of the flesh harm us. Every soap opera, every news broadcast, everything we see in a school playground or whatever, everything we read in a book, there's always stories based around the works of the flesh, the things that harm society, that break homes, that destroy lives and lead to suicides. But the fruit of the Spirit, and fruit grows quietly, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's all. If we have that by the Spirit, all is well. The first great work written on the Holy Spirit was written by St. Basil the Great way back many centuries ago. Here are words from that. As good as the Puritan prayer was, so is this. Through the Holy Spirit comes our restoration to paradise, our ascension into the kingdom of God, our return to the adoption of sons, our liberty to call God the Father, our being made partakers of the grace of Christ, our being called children of light, our sharing in eternal glory, and in our word, our being brought into a state of all fullness of blessing, both in this world and in the world to come, of all good gifts that are in store for us by promise hereof, through faith, beholding the reflection of their grace as though they were already present. We await the full adjoinment. We've got it now. But the fullness is to come when Christ returns and calls us home. Don't be afraid of the Spirit. Don't keep your reception room of your heart locked. Open it up. Swing the door open and open the windows so whether he's a dove or whether he just comes gently through our door, enjoy him. For he enables us to be like Christ, to follow him day by day. Samuel Chadwick, who wrote a beautiful book on the Spirit, said the gift of the Spirit is the crowning mercy of God in Christ Jesus. The essential, vital, central element of the life and soul of the work and of the and, and the work of the church is the person of the Spirit. And do you know something? He'll bring glory to our Lord Jesus Christ.